You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. Welcome to The Knock-On Effect. I'm Alex Rosenberg. I'm Justine Underhill. And this is the show where we start with the thing you know and end up in a strange place. So this is the podcast version. We do a video version that comes out on Real Vision and is also available for free online every Thursday. Um, you can see our lovely faces there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Justine's lovely face and, and also my face. Uh, <laughs> and this is where we you know, get into a little bit more depth and uh, and have a little, little more fun with it, maybe. Yeah. So... Oh, and, and in the show, Justine is actually guessing, or I'm guessing, in, in this case, Justine's guessing. Here, uh, we both know where we're going, but we will explore more together. And you guys can try to guess along. Yes. Uh, so, oh, I like that. Yeah. Uh, play, play along at home. Um, so, basically, today we're taking you from rising stock prices uh, and explaining how that means more Americans, why that means that more Americans will be picking their feet. Uh, or I, I should explain it's picking feet in general. Yeah, picking, we should say more Americans will be picking feet. I think that's more fair, actually. Yes, yes. And then actually there's a second segment today called uh, What's Your Number? Where Justine's going to talk about, I don't even know how to explain it. Just, I'm going to talk about a special number that you should be watching for as we start to get into earnings season. Very good. Very timely. So we're going to start with the thing you know, which is that stock prices have been rising. And, and I, I mean, have been over the past, you know, nine years. Yeah, uh, nine years or so. A nice little bull market we've had. It's been pretty pretty good if you've you've been owning them, them equities. Uh, and, and that'll be the hit new song of yours right owning them equities yep yeah and so you know we could we could talk about why they've been rising and and uh whether they'll continue to rise but let's not yeah save that for another save that for a rainy day so getting to right into the first knock-on effect which is income inequality so it's we've seen a dramatic rise in income inequality uh in the united states Uh, just i mean so we've talked about the, the past nine years since the Great Recession, if you will, but you, you know, even since the late 1970s, it's generally been been good times for for those holding Just assets like real estate and holding anything in the stock market. Pretty much any sort of uh, wealth has done well since the 1970s and 80s. Yeah, and so you know, you could almost see stock the stock prices as, as a proxy for how good it is to own capital, right? Because stocks are, you know, 
let, let's just really zoom out here. And a business basically has two inputs. It is capital and labor. So you could either contribute labor to a business and then get paid for it, uh, or you could contribute capital to a business and uh, have some ownership, which eventually you'll be paid for. And you know this is the kind of Thomas Piketty thesis that we've seen, but prior to the 1970s, have seen unusually good times for labor. In, in, in other words, a good deal of those gains in companies have redounded to labor, to workers. And you know, we're sort of seeing that shift. And he argues that this is the natural condition that capital will uh, see more gains than labor. I, I don't certainly don't want to uh, you know take a side in that argument. But over the past 40 years, uh, you know, the 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 gains that have redounded to capital have far outstripped the gains that have redounded. Yeah, to and, and that's a, a phenomenon that we've seen. I mean, even in terms of wage growth, you know, this whole idea of you know companies are seeing huge amounts of profits, um, and yet wage growth is so low, and we also have low unemployment. So this is sort of the conundrum that the Fed has been dealing with: is is why are some of the gains that we're seeing in the economy is not necessarily going back to workers? Yeah, and and so. We, we cheer when the stock market rises in general because it means the economy is growing. But the question is whether it represents the economy growing as a whole or it simply represents that capital is doing well, right? Because two things that can make stock prices rise are, you know, the overall all economy is growing. Everyone, people have jobs, people have money, people are spending, you know, those companies are making money. Uh, and, and then what we're seeing in the stock market is half of the equation with the other gains going to labor. Or we could just see basically not the pie growing, but just the share of the pie shifting could also arguably be reflected in stock prices. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people in some cases blame the Fed for what we've seen. So while this has been a conundrum for the Fed, why haven't we been seeing wage growth? It's also a lot of the mechanisms that the Fed has used to, let's say, stimulate the economy. Um, a lot of that's gone to the, the upper class. Yeah, and, and the Fed has kind of talked about it. the wealth effect is a term that the Fed uses or, or that people use when, when analyzing the Fed's actions, that higher stock prices make people feel richer. I'm just going to read from a uh, Washington Post op-ed by then. Fed Chair Ben Bernanke from 2010, higher stock prices will boost consumer wealth and help increase confidence, which can also spur spending. Increased spending will lead to higher incomes and profits that in a virtuous circle will further support economic expansion. Oh, the virtuous circle. Yes. Uh, the circle of profit. Ah. And so, you, you know, maybe he's right. I mean, there, there's probably something there. The The question is whether, so, so I mean, in my opinion, cutting rates has, or leading rates below is, is good for the overall economy. Um, but some could argue that he's just shifting the, the pie and that, you know, we've seen the fortunes of the less fortunate not not rise nearly as much, and, and we've seen greater inequality in the United States as a result. It's there's this wonderful study done by Dan Ariely, which looked at what people think the income distribution looks like in the United States, what it um, they think it should look like, and then what it actually looks like, and what people think it looks like now versus what it actually looks like is so dramatically off. So even our perceptions of income inequality and what the distribution of wealth is like is is um, completely different than reality. In other words, people think that it's more equal than it yes, is. Exactly. And so there's even a, a misconception of, and, and so and this is the podcast version, so I highly recommend going to look up that chart by Dan Ariely. Um, but 
Yeah, unfortunately, we can't show it to you here. But it's good because otherwise, you know, the workers of the world will unite and, and overthrow the uh, owning oh, if class. Oh, if they actually knew yeah. how unequal it was, yes. <laughs> yeah. So don't don't go. Look don't it up. look up the chart. <laughs> no. Whatever you do, don't do it. The stability of our society <laughs> depends on this. It really does. I mean. Yeah. I don't want to, you know, really well, get... Well, I mean, I, but I will say revolutions are... I mean, as soon as things get super unequal, that's when you start to see problems with... That's one theory. But the other theory is that is that when, you know, people don't have bread. So since... since Oh, since we all have bread, we're fine. Yeah, and, and actually over the past 100, 200 years, the standard of living has been rising for ah, everyone. We all have iPhones. Right, and so... But it, it's not like there are people who are starving who have no option but to revolt. I mean, even the poorest are doing so much better yes. than than the average person from a hundred years ago, uh. and we've almost actually even across the world we've almost eradicated starvation. So you could argue that there's more room for income inequality uh, because we're at a higher living standard. Yes. So so people are like, well, you know, I could go out and revolt in the streets, or I could just stay here and watch Netflix. Right. Ah, we've subdued the masses. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Okay. So no revolution anyway. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. We, we really. Yeah, we really went off track there. Okay, Alex, tell us. The no, next. no, no. This this is on track. This is on track. But okay. But we're gonna. This is gonna make the rest of it seem even lighter than it already is. But uh, the the way the knock on effect. So so we've gotten to the first knock on effect, which is increased inequality. Uh, and I, we didn't even explain this on a very basic. I mean, I think it's it's intuitive, right? That more money you have, the more money you're gonna put into stocks. So mm-hmm. so as stock prices rise, like like so. Stock prices, as I said, kind of show the gains that were down to capital. At the same time, you know, they literally, this is what the wealth effect is getting at. As the prices rise, people with money have even more money. And yeah. And then once you have more money, you want to put it back into the stock market. Right. Or, or just or just keep it in. Um, whereas people who don't have any money to put in the stock, like if you just isolated the stock market as a variable, kept everything else the same and just made stock prices rise, income inequality would rise because the richest yes. would get and richer and the, the poor would, would not get any gains because they don't have money in stocks. It's always surprising to see the statistic of the number of Americans that don't own any stock, which is actually quite significant. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, anyway, let, let's go ahead to, to the next knock-on effect, which has to do with pets. Pets. Yes, pets. The, the thing that millennials love in lieu of children. As I joke, uh, not really a joke, actually. It's true. It's true. Uh, so, more than half of U.S. households do own a pet of some kind. Are you one of them? Uh, no, not right now. No, not right now. But some nice, some nice oh. cactus. Uh, We're recording this at Alex's place, um, and he does have a few cat clocks on the wall and cats. Uh, Mannequins. I don't yeah. know how to describe them. Little we're, doodads. Yeah, we're we're catless at the time, but we we we'll probably get another cat soon. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, uh, the dogs are the most popular pet in America, followed by cats, followed by fish and birds. But it's kind of fun to look at it in terms of demographics. So if you split the pets by income, and and you took a guess on the show that was actually pretty accurate in terms of. So I'll, I'll let you guess at home, which is. Of these animals, okay, so here, so here are the animals, right? Dogs, cats, fish, birds, small animals, horses, and reptiles. Small animals being like bunnies and gerbils. Gerbils and hed- hedgehogs. Little rodents. Well, cute little, yeah. No, like, but a rabbit's not a rodent, is it? I think it is. 
I don't know. That's really offensive. That's honestly, I'm that's offended for offended? all the rabbit rabbit listeners out there. I'm looking it up. Our rabbit fans. <laughs> uh, anyway, so so if you could put this in order of highest income to lowest income, uh, again, that's dogs, cat, fish, birds, small oh. animals, horses, and reptiles. Rabbit is not a rodent. You're correct. Yes, I know. Uh, so <laughs> the correct order it, from the highest, their owners have the highest income to their owners have the lowest can I, income. Can I try guessing again? Because I think I remember the order, okay, but I'm not fine. sure. Go ahead. Okay, so horse is the top. Then after horse is bird. Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't imagine that birds would be the second richest pet owners, but I guess bird owners tend to be older. Then you have dog. Which makes no. sense. Oh, no. Well, oh, sorry. We, there was no fish in the show because I don't think fish is a real pet. Oh. But, yeah. Okay, so it's... Horse, it's bird, fish. Horse, bird, fish. Dog. Dog. That's interesting. I wouldn't have put fish that high, but then you have dog. Then after dog, you have cat. Small animals. Ah, then... Okay, so after dog, you Which have you small... Which you so callously refer to as rodents. Okay. Rabbits and such. And then you have cat. And then you have reptiles. Yes. Uh, that is right, and there there are other like facts in here. Like uh, they talked about the two animals whose owners. So so most animal owners have a, a above average rate of marriage. Makes sense, right? You, you get your husband, then you get your dog, right? Yeah, or your fish. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, but actually, a fish is a replacement for a husband. Who needs oh, okay. a husband when you have, have something fish. swimming around? <laughs> I, how is that a pet? I mean, this is really, I don't want to offend anyone who is not offended by I, I, your earlier conversation. You're, but You're not, I mean, I'm on the same team as you. You can't pet it, right? So like. Oh, you have to physically be able to pet it. I first. don't know. Put your fingers against its scales. You'll kill it. I don't know. Don't give, do I've, not listen to Justine's <laughs> veterinary advice. I've obviously never owned a fish. Yeah, so, so owners of, just a, another fun demographic fact. The owners of cats and reptiles, despite the fact they own animals, have lower rates of marriage than the general population. Which is something I can come to terms with. I believe that. I think so. If you met someone and they were, like, super into their cats, like, you, wouldn't you be like, that's a little weird? That's why I got the the girlfriend first. You got the girlfriend, then then you got the cat. Um, But the reptiles, is uh, that's at the very bottom of both income and marriage interesting which i mean because little kids have reptiles yeah and also like you know you went through some of those on an earlier podcast some of those chinese marriage uh oh yeah statistics statistics but 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 the chinese dating profiles yeah i don't did you find a lot that said you know must have an iguana or has to be really into his snake nope yeah everything was must have house right uh, so, so anyway, let, let's talk about horses, though, which okay. is they're, they're our next knock on effect, because as the, the rich get richer, mm-hmm. more people, this is my theory, at least, uh, are going to buy horses. So now you've gone higher yeah. stock prices, higher income inequality, more people uh, buying horses. Ah, so as, as people get richer from their stocks, they invest in horses. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, if. So horses are really expensive uh, in in every way. One point of comparison, dog food will cost you a a little over $200 a year, according to the same study uh, on average. Horse food will cost you $2,000 a year. Boarding is $2,000 a year. Stable help is $2,000 a year. And I I talked to these people at this store in New York called Manhattan Saddlery, which is even fancier than it sounds. Oh, my God. And they told me that if you want to board a horse near New York City, it'll cost about $2,000 a month. 
So that's like... That's more than I pay in rent. Right. It is? Yeah. I have a good deal. Yeah. It's pretty (laughs) sweet. Um, So, so... This, this is the, the theory that... And then you have to buy all these accoutrements, right? So you have to buy your saddles. You have to buy uh, helmets. And um, one of the things you have to buy, and, and I, I, I have one right here, is a hoof pick. Yeah, so before and after you ride, you need to pick uh, your horse. Actually, you know more about this yes. than I do. Um, when After you ride a horse, you have this uh, device, and you use it. Uh, to scrape out the dirt in in the horse's hooves, and mm-hmm. then you brush it off. And I used to do this as a, you know, as a six-year-old. Which seems ridiculous because they could, like, I, I saw a video about it because I was like, you know, yeah. a little research. And it looks like they could just kick you. Uh, they, there is a danger of kicking you. You have to hold the horse's foot in a certain direction, and you'd have to do it very carefully. And you never want to approach the horse from certain angles. And you want to make sure the horse knows you're there. You don't want to ever surprise it. Right. So there's this whole process. I would I would clean the horse's hooves, and I would sweep their poop, and I would feed them, and I did, did all the... The dirty work. <laughs> I was like a six, seven year old. Were you like an indentured servant? Yeah, right. and, uh... <laughs> Poor little Justine. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what. My parents just left me at the stables and I just. <laughs> like, well, where are we going to put this kid to work? Yeah, right. Um, do you still ride? No, I don't. Okay. Yeah. Not in probably a decade. Okay. Uh, more recently than I, I tried to ride as a kid, but. It's great exercise. Is it? You're just sitting there. Uh, it's no, good exercise with a horse. Oh, gosh. Have you ever, like, ridden a horse and then got off the next day and then been like, my thighs? Yes. Yes, I guess so. <laughs> um, why, why are we talking about this again? <laughs> You're the one leading the show. Oh, yes. Uh, so, oh, 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 oh. So that's why more Americans are going to pick their feet. Or not their feet, but... But I amended to say right. just feet in general. Well, it's like there if they own the horse. But can oh. you really own that majestic of an animal? It's like owning a sunset, right? <laughs> uh, the wild horses. I'll never forget my horse sunset. So that is... Oh, and just like for fun, like that store. I, I If you live in New York and you're like, I want to go to a weird store, go to Manhattan Saddlery. It's really funny. It's like huh. two floors. It's really cool. It's really fun. And they have... So I, we also bought a, for this episode, a salt... A salt lick that is, I have it actually right here. Massive. And I we, think I'm literally going to use it as a centerpiece. We don't know what to do with the salt lick anymore. Do you want it as a centerpiece? Well, it, it's, so it's made of Himalayan sea salt. So it looks like those fancy salt lamps. It's like made in Vermont. There's, it's, it's beautiful, by the way. But it's also gigantic. And I don't know what you do with that besides give it to a horse. Well, you could lick it. Um, so, yeah, sure. Oh, you could add it to your food, maybe. Yeah. Hey, Himalayan sea salt is very expensive. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I do want to take a little bit of a step back because oh. there is there's so much that that goes on with. I mean, we were talking about income inequality and revolutions, and there's so many d- different directions that um, exacerbation of of income inequality could go. I, I, it leads to a lot of different things. It's interesting that you picked horses and pets. It's well, sort of fun light. You know, have a little fun with it. Yeah. But um, but, but this is and also pets do say a lot about the owner. Um, as we discussed a little bit, but especially parrots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They literally say. But um, the, the bigger picture is that you know, as our economy, uh, you could almost call it, it, it gets lopsided in a way. This is something that we're going to eventually have to come to terms with. Um, mm. Right now, you know, the Fed 
we, we've implemented these policies. So we, we have these cycles, these business cycles where we have booms and then busts. And so um, in order to mitigate that, we implemented the Federal Reserve in some ways to try to smooth out these booms and busts. Uh, we still have them, um, but I guess the Fed goes into action after a bust to try to ease things and smooth things along. Mm -hmm. But in some ways that has exacerbated the next cycle where, and, and now we've entered into this basically unknown, uncharted territory where we've had massive stimulus and we've never seen the likes of that. And the way the, the mechanism that the stimulus works, the money goes to the banks first. Um, the money helps a lot of the ultra rich. And so we haven't fully seen the consequences of what's happened. We've had this bull market for nine years and people say, oh, you know, things are better, but we actually haven't seen the complete fallout of, of what happened and what we've done. And, and so this is, this is, it's an experiment and I'm excited. I, I don't know if you want to use the word excited, but I, I, I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, so, so here's, here's the thing, right? An economy that's an, imp that's improving is, is good for everyone. And, you know, the unemployment rate is at, it's almost like a, a world war levels as if every person is being conscripted to fight. And, you know, we have seen wage growth has not been great, but but it's been there. Uh, job quits ha has risen to an extraordinary level. It mean, means more, more and more people are walking into their, their boss's office saying, take this, <laughs> take this job and shove it. Um, and like all, all of these are mean that the economy is getting better for everyone now is I, I guess, you know, so we talked about how my theory that inequality, I'm just, <laughs> other people have thought of this before, uh, but that that higher, a higher rate of living for everyone makes um, it, you po it possible to stand greater inequality. But sort of the question is whether inequality is a bad thing in and of itself mm -hmm. or or not. And that's that's a philosophical question that, that an economist doesn't have the tools to answer. That That's something that we have to reckon with as a society, that if we could do a policy, like here's a thought experiment, right? Not actually too different from, from quantitative easing. If we could do an act of policy with a snap of our fingers, and there are no bad consequences, let's just say that, that makes um, everyone else 5% better off and makes 1,000 people 100% better off or 200% better off or 300% better off, I still think you would want to enact that policy, no? I mean, why, un unless you think inequality is such a bad thing in and of itself. Right, and uh, but this is where it gets into we don't fully know what the consequences are. Like, we've not seen it on, or these policies on this scale, so we don't know how this fully impacts the U.S. economy. And so I think, I mean, it's, we, gonna, I we, think it's gonna take many, many, many more years but to find out. To be fair, I mean, like we have we have seen, a, 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 you know, there. I, I don't want to call out specific predictions because that that's that's not the, the point you're making. Mm -hmm. But we, there are there were a lot of predictions that oh yeah the economy is looking better in the short term, but we're going to see massive inflation. You know, it, it hasn't happened. Well, we're, yeah. we're seeing predictions that oh well once they stop buying bonds it'll turn around. It hasn't happened. Once they start raising rates hasn't happened. Mm. And it, it seems to me like at some point we'll have we'll have another recession again because, you know, the economy does work in cycles. Right. And as, as Grant Williams points out, you know, humans don't change. But <laughs> but like the I, I think we can almost we're almost prepared to say that the world has done better because the Fed has kept rates low 
than otherwise. Aren't, aren't we? I mean, at what point will you be prepared to say that? Well, I, I think it's going to take more examination. And, and you also, here's the other thing. I'm, I'm not trying to say the Fed is good or bad here. I'm just trying to say that, you know, maybe there are also other policies to achieve the same goal. Um, and this is where it's going to get really interesting as we get into, here's a hot topic, universal basic income. Right. As we get into some of these things with job losses and, and robotics and artificial intelligence, uh, these are all things that we're going to have to reckon with. And, you know, it's probably not the job of the Fed to have to try to take care of everyone and try to even everything out. It would be far better if we were able to uh, enact policies uh, through Congress or whatever else uh, that actually work for the economy rather than having the Fed do try to do the heavy lifting, which is what they've been trying to do. And so, you know, maybe they, you know, rescuing... Uh, the banks is the right thing to do to save Main Street. But, you know, were there better policies or other ways to go about doing it and maybe preventative measures before the financial crisis? These are all things we should be thinking about. So I, it's sort of having a longer term proactive view rather than a reactive view. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So there. That's my little uh, diatribe. Wow. <laughs> all right. Uh, so let's let's uh, move on, I guess, to our second segment. Uh, what's yes. your what's your number? What's your What's your number? Right. Okay, so today's special number is the number four, and what we're gonna. I talk- wish we had like a Sesame Street. Yeah. Uh, oh, that would be so cute. Yeah. Uh, we should get the count on here. And so, what we're gonna be talking about is the case of the missing four. So this is kind of a Nancy Drew. We've gone from Sesame Street to Nancy Drew. Yeah. Um, and basically, uh, this is. This is very relevant as we're going into earnings season. We're starting ramping that up this week. And basically, the case that I want to make is that companies that are missing fours in their earnings reports could be a sign of a company that you actually want to stay away from. And so basically, there's this paper. Um, The paper is called quadrophobia. I love that name. I love that too. Quadrophobia, strategic rounding of EPS data. And this is by Nadia Malenko and Joseph Grundfest. And so basically what they did was they looked at over 25,000 companies from 1980 to 2013. And they found that there was, quote, an underrepresentation of the number four in the first post-decimal digit of EPS data or this is what they call quadrophobia. So let me let me break that down a little bit. So for example, if you have earnings per share of 13.4 cents, that gets rounded down to 13 cents. Whereas if you have earnings per share of 13.5 cents, that gets rounded up to 14 cents. And so- R- Rounded up when, when it's reported When it's by- reported in, in the headlines of here's what earnings per share was, because it gets rounded to the nearest cent. Um, and so basically, because of that, companies, they actually found that companies that have more analysts looking at them, more scrutiny, um, tend to um, have more of an incentive to round their numbers up. So, and there's always a little bit of uh, fudge room, I like to call it, in when, when reporting numbers, because you can have an expense this quarter that you can maybe it's copiers or printer I don't know whatever you want it to be you can shift that to the next quarter um, and so to be able to change your earnings by a tenth of a cent uh, can make a pretty big difference um, and so no surprise guess what they found that uh, there are very there's an underrepresentation 
of the number four in the post-decimal earnings position uh, for a lot of companies. And so it's it has a very low rate of showing up. You see threes, you know, 13.3, 13.5, but not 13.4. Because if you're close enough, you might as well try to round up. Mm-hmm. Which, which is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so, so ha- what, like, how do you have some numbers on this? Like, how infrequently fours appear? Yeah. So, actually, fours are it. It um, it it's more concentrated among certain companies. But if you look at the overall picture, you would imagine that a four in the decimal place would appear about ten percent of the time. Um, yet, its frequency in reported EPS data for firms with analyst coverage is only 7.9%. So it is lower. Um, you, if you look at over the years between 1980 and 2013, there have been dips. It's gone as low as like 6% of the time it sh- it, 0.4 has shown up. Um, but it is more concentrated among certain companies. And so what they did was they actually started signaling or um, picking out those companies that were less likely to report a 0.4 to see if it was correlated with anything else. Because you would expect it to be. Because it, it's like... Yeah, you know, companies are always going to try to, to flatter the results in most years and maybe take a big bath in one quarter. In, in other words, like just write off a bunch of stuff and say, yeah, we, we really did a bad job that quarter. And then they can, you know, once they've they've taken a lot of depreciation in, in Q1, for instance, then, then Q2, they're off to a good start. It's often like when a new CEO starts, you'll usually see a very bad quarter. Yeah, but, and, and, but they, they can engage in this sort of strategic rounding. And so engaging in that sort of strategic behavior. But that, but that it seems like, like almost worse because it's that's after all the numbers have been tabulated and everything's been added up. Like like if you if you like let, let's say I come in as a CEO and say, listen, I think this past CEO did a bad job. Let's just write off a bunch of shit he did. Like okay, fine, you know let let that that's that's a strategy that you know uh, could be a little on the edges of morality, yeah. but. You know, you do it before you tabulate the numbers. This is after everything's done and we're about to press send on that email. It's like, hold on, let's go back and change one of our other numbers to make the bottom line number right. That seems like, that seems pretty bad. It's not illegal, though. What what these companies are doing is totally legitimate accounting discretion. I mean, there's always some numbers that you can change. Uh, But, yeah, so we, but you're correct. Um, There are some, but there's only certain companies that are more likely to engage in that behavior. Um, And so what these researchers did was they gave every single company a quadrophobia score, how likely it was that you would see the 0.4 in their their EPS data. And what they came out with was that even though, you know, quadrophobia could result from something that's completely legitimate. Um, They found that companies with high quadrophobia scores are, quote, significantly more likely to restate their financial statements, be named as defendants in SEC accounting and auditing enforcement releases, and be involved in class action securities fraud litigation. So it is associated with other, you know, the creative accounting does get associated with other things. And I will say that there is a company um, that was singled out. So the Wall Street Journal did some wonderful digging, and they found that between 1988 uh, and 2006, Dell did not report a single four in the tenths place in their EPS data. And the likelihood of that happening by random chance is one in 2,500. So it's very, very unlikely that that would just well, magically somehow happen, that they wouldn't have that. Well, it, uh, yeah, I mean, 
you also have to add in all the other firms they looked at that they're like, I bet this firm didn't report a four, and they did. So you have to, you know, that kind of goes. Right. Into okay, the I mean, this is just one example, but, but this is just one example of actually several. Yeah. But it is interesting that Dell actually did have to pay $100 million to settle charges with the SEC that it misled investors about the source of its earnings. And so uh, why this... You know, the crazy thing is the SEC was going to charge them 99 uh, point. Oh, four, but then decided to round it up. To 99.5, so we would all say 100. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> th- this this paper is actually very key because it is making the rounds at the SEC. And so even if, as you were saying, Alex, you know, maybe there are some companies that just didn't report a f- point four and didn't do anything wrong, it doesn't matter because guess what? Those companies are going to start getting more scrutiny from the SEC because of this paper. So it's almost like a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. prophecy? Yeah, that reminds me of like the number one or, or sniffing out the number one, the frequency of that number to find accounting fraud. Huh. Uh, how, do, how exactly does that work? All right. So let's say you have a random list of numbers, okay? Uh, like not not chosen by, chosen by numerals, but just you're adding up some random number of things. Like there's a, there's a box of jelly beans. There's a box of uh, Twinkies. There's a, I don't know. Sure. So how often would the sums... Start with the number one. I don't know. Well, it's actually 31% of the time the first digit is a one, according to uh, the physicist Frank Benford. Uh, This is actually known as Benford's Law, that the numbers, as you go from one to two to three to four to five, the numbers become less frequent, which sort of makes sense when you think about it, because the, if, if I'm, if, if I have, you know, Let's say I have five. Let's say I have ten or something. Okay, mm. I have ten percent more now. I have eleven of it. Ten percent more now. I have twelve and change. Ten percent more now. I have fourteen and change. Ten percent more. Ten percent more. Okay, at some point I'm going to reach above twenty. Yeah. And then if I have ten percent more, I'm going to be at twenty-two. Ten percent more, I'm going to be like at twenty-five. Ten percent. So then I'm going to skip through the twenties faster than I skip through the tens. Oh. We skip through the thirties faster than I skip through the twenties. Forties faster. So if you actually. So if the number of Twinkies is maybe it's a hundred and something, maybe it's a thousand something, maybe it's ten thousand something, but it's very likely to start with a one. So the the Isn't distribution is more clustered when there's you're in the lower ones digits. There, yes, like there's a higher distribution of numbers there, and so what some people have. No, this is not for like you know fudging the numbers a little bit, but yeah. if you're just making it up out of whole cloth, for instance, like a good example is if someone's just like embezzling money from you. And they just need you to have at the, the bottom line, you know, they need it to be 3,000 mm-hmm. for some reason. Like, and they're just like making up numbers that go into this line. These numbers will not obey Benford's law because people say, you know, 8,942, whatever it is. Uh-huh. And you can test it for Benford's law uh. to see how suspicious you should be about those numbers. So you should always add in a few more ones when you're trying to embezzle money. Yes, you should use a Benford's law calculator embezzlers I'm, I'm telling you you can buy one i you can actually i sell one if, if you oh. go to the uh description of this no i'm just kidding but uh i like i like this new um shop you're hawking so you can set up next to the uh horseshoe store yes with your maybe bez- i can be inside manhattan salary i mean there's yeah. got to be some uh, yeah. some sketchy some folks buying horses nowadays <laughs> yeah some horsing around yeah <laughs> that'll be the name of your shop <laughs> 
Uh, wow, this got really stupid really fast. Um, all right, t- t- take us home. Uh, uh, okay. so, so in terms of the number four. Yeah, so in terms of the number four, basically, as it'll, it's kind of a fun thing to do this earnings season. Take a look and see if you find any companies that have uh, 0.4 uh, in their in yeah. the EPS. Nothing's more fun than like finding the extra digit of EPS. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and maybe those... For all you are, people with reptiles out there who aren't married. You have, have this fun time. Yeah, I think I like that. It's almost as fun as owning a, a snake. Yeah, oh no. Okay, we lost we lost right. our snake audience. We, lo- we lost, so we lost... Who didn't we lose at this point? I don't know. I think we should just leave. Okay, that's it. Anyway, that's all for this week's knock-on effect. Thanks for joining us. And we are here every Thursday. Under Real Vision Presents is the podcast... Now we're on Stitcher and Spotify, by the way. Oh, cool. Um, and we have a new episode every week, every Thursday as well. Uh, the video version on realvision.com slash knock on effect. And you can also sign up for your 14-day free trial there. Yes, you yes you can. Yeah. Okay, cool. See you guys next week. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.